Hello, Interabang and Stephanie. Hello. How's it going? Going pretty good. I'm, yeah. I'm excited for this episode. So just to start out with Interabang, this is um, this episode will be kind of a part two to the previous episode. So we do welcome and encourage you to watch that one. It's kind of an introduction uh, of myth and legends. Uh, we tend to uh, intend to continue that topic for this episode, uh, getting more into detail on one facet of myth and legends. So just wanted to start out with that in case it seems we're getting very specific today. <laughs> there is some background. Um, and yeah, how, how have things been for you, Stephanie? Pretty good. Uh, I've been feeling pretty crafty lately, so I guess that's on par with the the topic that we're about to jump into later on. We'll explore that later. Mm. Um, but yeah, no, I've explored a lot of crafts. I've like learned about glass making. I've learned about, um, we'll continue some of my knitting projects. I'm like decently halfway through a sweater, which is pretty impressive considering I started earlier this week. So oh, that is. Yep. Fun times. Especially with, um, yeah, with just the other things you do, like work, working or oh yeah, errands and things. I know you had some spontaneous adventures this week, too, you shared with me. Oh, yes. I totally forgot about that. I, um, dear, dear and Tarabang, I went on a hot air balloon, an impromptu hot air balloon ride. Because <laughs> um, the company I work for, uh, they... They, they decided it was Employee Appreciation Week. So they put a hot air balloon outside one of the buildings. And if you happen to see it, you could join the line and go. And I went. And it was fun. Strange, but fun. I enjoyed it. I loved it because it was in the middle of the day this week, at one of the, during the week. And I get this random text from Stephanie. Usually it's, hey, how are you? But it was just the, I forgot how you began it, but it was like, Hey, I just went on this impromptu hot air balloon ride. It was lots of fun. And you went into detail and you shared photos of like you in the balloon and everything. And I was like, oh my gosh. It's okay. it's it's very out of the blue. Um, I was as bewildered as you probably are listening to this. Yeah. Um, that this was an option. I thought this was for others, not me, you know? Mm-hmm. But then I went and asked and they're like, sure. And I was like, why not? So I did. But it went well, and I'm glad it went well. I mean, I'm alive, so that was yeah. It was a it was not a gusty day, unfortunately, I guess, for those adventure adrenaline seekers. But it was the ride that I was in was a little gustier than the other balloon that was also going. I think that was tethered more stably, um, Mm -hmm. whereas mine was tethered in like one point. Um, Oh, I see. Uh, the the b- balloon like rocked a bit more, but I enjoyed that. You couldn't really feel the rocking. At least it was a, such a weird disconnect. Like I would see the the basket tilt because oh I would gosh. tilt with it, but it's not like an airplane where you know you feel that tilt really go. Yeah. You know? How tall um, is the basket? Like when you're ascending it, how high does it go up to? You? I was like decent elbow level. Like I okay. could rest my arms. Um, my my elbows really comfortably on the rims of the basket. Interesting. Okay, so I, I wished, I yeah, okay. I wished myself into a corner, so it was really nice, really comfy. But then um, the balloon navigator and the other person in the balloon were like gripping onto the poles for dear life, and I was just kind of casually leaning on the the corner rims of the basket. So oh, wow. maybe I am the thrill seeker after all. I don't know. <laughs> Uh, no, that's great. Um, I do have an opener for today's yeah, episode. It's trying to make sure I word this well. Um, it is, have you ever thought of, right? So I guess it's best if I just start by example. So I think recently, uh, at least in like uh, United States, American English, there's a common phrase that usually people say if they want to um, show negative, you know, express negativity towards a certain situation. They'll mm-hmm. say like, I do not condone this behavior. I do not condone these actions. Sure. Um, I have yet to hear someone say, I condone this. I think they usually just say, okay. Yeah. But like you could grammatically say, 
I condone that, you know, and I just feel like with just recent like over usage of that, I do not condone X, Y, Z. Sure. I would, I would be very startled if someone just came out and said like, I condone like, like politicians at the end of their advertisements. Like my name is whatever. And I condone I, this message. I approve like, this message. Yeah. I condone this message. I feel like that would like make you like pause for a moment and, and be like, excuse me. Um, sure. So I was wondering if there's anything that comes to mind uh, for you that would be like, it's grammatically correct. It's just not commonly. Sure. I have one straight away. Um, so I like to watch British comedians and one of them, David Mitchell is, is brilliant at like being very eloquent in his rage, mm-hmm. um, in, or, or rather particularness of like what he prefers of his preferences. Um, and like, sometimes he'll tell stories of like things that he thought was going to go a certain way. And then he was soon disabused of that notion. And I love that phrase. It's just such, um, a great one, but I don't hear many people talk about it like mm. that. And then now that you mentioned, like, I do not condone this or I condone that, um, I have never heard, <laughs> again, someone say, um, I was not abused of that notion. You know, like, disabused, like, yes. you know, you're, you're sorry. so like, if you think that you're, you know, going down a certain mental pathway, like, oh, you're expecting ice cream uh, because it looks like this ice cream place is given out for your ice cream. And then you're seeing disabused of the notion. It turns out, nope it's just they have a sale it's not free you know so that's what context clues uh disabused means to those who might not know um so if you're abused of the notion abuse isn't exactly a positive (laughs) sounding (laughs) word either so i don't really know if there is it's like flammable and inflammable they both kind of mean the thing is flammable like if you see a truck that says inflammable don't don't set that thing on fire. You see a truck mm-hmm. that says flammable. Also, do not want to set that on fire. Um, yeah, English is strange. Well, I think that flammable inflammable that came about from like safety precautions because of like tanks that hold industrial waste or something. They could be technically empty, but like there's still some residual, you know, explosive gas remaining in them. So I believe that was like. But just Cre- pick one. Why would you? Yeah, have those are created for like the industry Greek standards. Version of I N means not, but clearly yeah. it is. You yeah. know, yeah. subject to formation. Right. No, I'm with you there. But I feel like it's interesting when very like specific industry jargon somehow gets brought into more common everyday language somehow, and I think mm-hmm. that's maybe could have happened there. I'm trying to recall from where I learned that, but uh. Very tricky, indeed. Great, great transition here. Uh huh. Um, yes. So you haven't cottoned on by now. We're gonna talk about tricksters today, guys. Crafty, tricky, tricky, tricksters, mischief, tricky beans. <laughs> um, yes. So as a continuation of last week's myths and legends, which we had a. Uh, general introduction right of um the the topics tropes um how Mm -hmm. they've persevered through the millennia um through various cultures and filled into a few specific tales yeah stephanie ended us with a nice um kind of introduction to the legend of king arthur yeah at the end and um so for me here i have my lights a little dim where i'm sitting at today because i kind of felt like this episode would be a lot of story time. Ah, yeah. yes. It kind of either fireside chat or, you know, yeah. um, candlelit, you know, back in the old days, that's how the, the stories were regaled. Um, so, yeah, today's topic is tricksters, as we've mentioned. Um, and I thought I was just so intrigued how it seems like every culture, you know, they've got heroes, they've got the ant- they've got the villain. You know, they've got like good guys, bad guys. And then there's kind of like the in-between people who sometimes can be the bad guys, but sometimes they're, they, you know, they, they comply and help with the good guys. And it's, it's, it's interesting how there's like that duality and, you know, every, almost every culture that I can think about, they've got some kind of trickster figure that is uh, somewhat prominent in the stories and they kind of help relay the morals to, you know, children or whoever, you know, the audience of, you know, right. 
um, what the the values of that culture is directly or indirectly um and they kind of embody this like yeah this moral test but also a test of like learned wisdom because oftentimes they pop in and out of the story right and to test the protagonist's ability to like well hold on you're tricking me right now I can see through you and they're like oh yes you caught me good one it, like, it, like, like, I, like like I yeah. genuinely applaud you like so they can yeah. be genuinely like friendly and kind and almost friendly friends in a way but also yeah you can never totally trust them their motives um, yeah mm-hmm, exactly um so I think they I, you put it perfectly they have this nice in-between realm of not villain mm-hmm. not and it, and it kind of like oh. kind of tells mm-hmm. people or shows people you know that resourcefulness may be something that's worth something after all you know, you can have all the brute and brawn that you that you want. You know, like we know so many um, heroes, like Hercules or Thor, right? They they're you know very strong guys, um, but sometimes not always the brightest. Now, sometimes Hercules, he's got you know the the help of some of the um, more wise gods, and they mm-hmm. kind of help him out and give him little tools and tricks to get through those twelve tasks. So. Yeah, it's like brains plus, you know, whatever else you've got. And I but, like as as audience yeah. members or, or readers, your feelings towards these tricks or characters, sometimes they're seen as like lovable and like, oh, yeah. what are you going to do? Or sometimes they're despicable and you're like, that was not oh. nice. I don't like that. Yeah, you you react yeah. on your own way, um, which I think is makes them extra fun to have. And it's interesting how, I guess, the introduction of pop culture has also like swayed an opinion of you know someone who's historically thought to be like the villain you know and now there's a story that's a little more in line with explaining the backstory or you know the thought process of this person and so now you sympathize with this so-called mm-hmm. villain and you're like no they're not they're not really a villain maybe like an anti-hero or they're just misunderstood <laughs> and yeah. that misunderstood argument you know a lot like, of questions makes- and discussions exactly. so I- yeah so one that jumps out, and I, I, I know Stephanie is planning to say about this character, also probably because of the actor who has played this character. Hey, in, come uh, on. Give me some credit here. In, um, I guess, the recent depiction of it is uh, Thor uh, from, I mean, the Loki, sorry, I'm sorry, Loki from the Thor, um, what do I, the Thor Lords? <laughs> Norse mythology. The lore of Thor <laughs> and Norse Norse mythology, but the character of Loki. Yeah. What about what about him? What do you want to say? I'm trying to think now. I mean, there's so much I feel mm-hmm. you've told me. So I mean, people may know him best played by the actor Tom Hiddleston in the you know recent Marvel's Mar- Marvel, Marvel superhero movies and uh his own kind of his character kind of has his own like individual focus, but as Sophie said, that character actually does come from Norse and N-O-R-S-E mythology. So maybe maybe start from what we know now, like more in the modern depiction, Stephanie. Maybe we can work our way back a bit. Yeah. So he uh okay, so in the modern version, the Marvel Stan Lee, you know, creation. Um he Those comic is, books, the comic books, and then now the movies and things, yes, right? And and now also even a TV show. Um, he is the brother, half brother of Thor, right? Um, so he, his father is, um, Laufey. That's why his name's Loki Laufeyson. Um, but Odin, Thor's dad, adopted him, um, really kidnapped him when he was conquering the ice realm, um, Jotunheim, and, uh, raised Loki and Thor side by side, uh, but kind of, under the premise that only one of them would succeed and you know succeed Odin to become king of Asgard, which is the realm that Thor is from. Um, and so 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 Loki was kind of brought up second fiddle all his life, you know, whereas like Asgardians they kind of valued um like war tactics and and like strength and you know showmanship and all that stuff. Um Loki was more reserved and like studious and, and kind of like he, he focused his um, energies on magic rather than trying to strong arm his way through 
Thor and Thor's friends um, group. So he's always a bit odd. Um, and his mother, Frigga, or his adopted mother, really, um, was the one who kind of taught him the ways of um, the magic stuff. And so he's a great illusionist. He's uh, He's got a silver tongue. I think that's one of his like eponyms because um, he's able to talk his way out of anything. He's the god of lies. So he can tell when there's a lie and he can tell great lies. Um, and can, he sh- can he shapeshift? Yes, famously a shapeshifter. Um, there's one bit in in the Ragnarok movie where Thor is telling a story about when he and Loki were kids, and then um, Loki turned into a snake, and Thor loves snakes, and then he turned back into Loki and like, "Bah, it's me!" And then that was a great point in the movie. <laughs> <laughs> and was he adopted as a child or like? Yeah, so he was adopted as a baby. So he's a he's technically okay, so like grew part up. cross giant. Yeah. Yeah. So he grew up. So in the in the movies, they depict the baby Loki as like a blue baby because that's like what the color of the skin of frost giants are that race. Mm-hmm. Um, but as soon as like Odin touched him, I guess he wanted to feel like he belonged. So he changed his whole appearance, even at that such an early age, to look like an Asgardian baby. Um, so that was pretty impressive that he even had that. Um, inherent ability mm-hmm. to want to belong so very cool and uh yeah so okay the, the part that i think people misunderstood about him was that he was very power hungry because in like avengers which is like the second movie he showed up in after thor one um he he seemed like he wanted to take over earth if you will <laughs> and people are like i oh, know he's just like a two-dimensional villain he just wants to take over earth but then it, like when you kind of dig into the the whole plot of like Thanos is wanting to have uh, universe domination um, Loki was really just a pawn he was one of the pawns of many pawns that Thanos had in order to you know secure the universe so was he really the the one who you know did he really want more power for himself no I think he just wanted to have attention <laughs> and he got that in a couple movies later um and he, he seemed perfectly content to have people just like pay attention to him, um, you know, and like respect him for once rather than, uh, you know, like scorn him or, or just make fun of him all the time. Because who doesn't want to be appreciated, you know? But what characteristic? So what, what, what characteristics, um, you know, does he have a certain color, appearance, way of speaking, physique? I feel like these characters usually embody certain qualities that so your mind associates those qualities with being trickster mischievous right so fun fact back in the original comic days green yellow and um purple i think were always categorized as like villain colors Mm -hmm. because there's something to do with like the printer ink compared to like red white and blue or yellow and blue i can't remember but that's why like superman and all those like superhero colors they're one way and i think it's like cheaper to print red and blue and all that stuff because you can see them on more panes i could be wrong please don't call me out for it (laughs) or correct us please but don't um make fun of me (laughs) Uh, but but there's definitely a reason why it's like purple and green it's not arbitrary it's like something to do with like budgets and um the printing of the comic books um but in the but even an animated film like in like snow white that was from the 40s you know the evil queen was purple yeah she's purple right mm-hmm. and like ursula from the little mermaid she's she's purple that was late well. that, that was late 80s i'm just thinking you're talking like comic books i'm like well oh yeah well, not necessarily the printing thing but it was already a- i don't know but it's like i think it's something to do with like the pigment and the, the cost but i could be wrong but there's something in there about um like the, or like the reproductions um uh, may have been easier to do it in purple i don't know but uh yeah so so loki's classic colors here are green and gold i'm not sure what the colors were in like the original norse mythology um to me it was pretty colorless like the whole thing um because they're just they're just legends right you don't really necessarily imagine legends with specific color i guess red red Mm -hmm. for the hero but i think that's part of the pop culture infiltrating into my brain um because purple at the time would have been pretty royal, right? Well, for the Mediterranean mm-hmm. civilizations. Yeah. 
Um, but we're talking Norwegians, so I don't know if they had access to those uh, shells that made purple or blue. Yeah. yeah. But um, right. So in in Norse mythology, so not to be confused with like the the comics, right? So thousands of years ago, um, Loki is debatably either Odin's brother or son. Sometimes it's it's a bit mixed. Um, and he may or may not be a uh, frost part frost giant, but he's still definitely a shapeshifter. He's still definitely like silver tongue. Um, and so he can talk his way out of most everything. Um, but sometimes he gets caught and uh, like he's got some interesting tales about, you know, when, when he's sent off to do some missions and things don't go quite to plan because he gets a little too cocky or something uh he is father to this is kind of messed up to four children um sleep near who is an eight-legged horse whom odin rides so um this was an interesting story i think to escape something he turned himself into a mare you know a female horse Mm -hmm. and um then ended up birthing another horse and that was an eight-legged horse who Odin rides into battle and everything. So I don't know. Kind of weird. And then there's Fenrir, um, who Harry Potter fans might know. He's a werewolf. But in the Norse mythology sense, uh, he, Fenrir is just a wolf, but like a huge wolf. Um, and then there's also his daughter, Hel, who is was made to be the guardian of the underworld. So i think in ragnarok the movie they said they call her hella but um so you can make all kinds of puns with hella cool hella amazing whatever and then uh his fourth kid is jormungandr who is the world serpent um and uh i guess i guess famously you'd know it as the snake eating its tail which is an ouroboros but that Ouroboros is the noun of de- you know describing any snake eating the tail. But Jormungandr was like the boiled serpent eating its tail. It's like a huge, huge serpent. It's basically encircling the world. Um, mm-hmm. That's how big it is. Imagine like the Universal logo for Universal Studios, mm-hmm. but a little right. bigger, just wrapped around. Um, yeah. And and Thor actually had like a task to like lift up this serpent and for him to and i think that at that time somehow the serpent was disguised as a cat i don't know why i don't know how but thor managed to lift up the paw of the cat and then everyone was like really shocked because um that meant that when he lifted the paw's cat or the cat's paw a little bit it was basically the height of mountains because everything is aggrandized in norse mythology and um it's a good thing that I guess Thor didn't lift the cat the entire way off the earth because apparently that would disrupt the entire universe balance. So just the cat's paws enough, Thor. Um, but it basically like lifted the band of the, the serpent a little bit. But anyway, that's Loki's children. Um, okay, so uh, let's, it's about time. Let's go to a, a trickster story of Loki. Um, mm-hmm. So uh, there's this debacle with, hair so um i think sif's so there's this god goddess called sif who is thor's uh future wife um and she's like a warrior all this good stuff she's very fair-haired very beautiful um and loki cuts off the hair (laughs) because he's loki he just does it so um you know she makes a big fuss about it all the other gods make a big fuss about it then they're like, okay, Loki, go do some tasks. And so they sent him to do these crazy tasks, um, like go visit some dwarves in Niflheim. I think that's where like the dwarf world is. Mm-hmm. And they're very like industrial and they make stuff. And so he like makes a bet um, about like making stuff. Uh, and the dwarves end up like reconstructing the hair, reconstructing uh, or creating a ship for one of the gods and also Odin's spear. And they have mm. like magical properties and they're very cool. Um, and and then I think Loki like makes a bet that they can't make something cooler. So some other like dwarves come in and and like make even inter- more interesting things. There's like a crazy boar, um, an armband and Mjolnir. So um, if 
Loki hadn't cut off Sif's hair, we wouldn't have gotten Mjolnir, which is like that famous hammer that Thor wields. Oh, and one fun fact. So I think Loki distracted one of the dwarves while they're making Mjolnir. And so as a result, the handle's short. And so that's why Aww. Thor... <laughs> That's why it looks all not not proportioned all, well, and there's exactly a very thin, small handle with the giant hammer. Loki's fault. Loki's fault. There that you makes go. sense. Not not okay. So I guess I didn't relay it well, but you can look it up. Um, the story of Sif's hair. So enjoy. <laughs> I think um, I like especially when you mentioned about the shape shifting into the cat, and I also think of like a, that how a cat can be another example of you know in a body trickster you think of like the cheshire cat from alice in wonderland oh yes how you know that character pops up multiple times throughout the story and you is you know arguably either helpful or you know deceiving to to alice as she tries to make her way through the wonderland um so i do like that character and how it kind of appears it's in the trees and appears in the trees but another one there's a Japanese version of that too. They're like cat people. And like you said, they kind of mm. like appear, disappear, but sometimes they're cats. Sometimes they turn out as humans. It's very dubious. Another, yeah. No, Strange. Yeah. And very similar to like cats that you see, you know, not exaggerated much from the cats you see in real life that such like outdoor stray cats that appear and disappear and are kind of like very distant, um, but mm-hmm. present that you can see. Um, but I kind of like, the little perch up in the tree image, because another character I think of is Puck from Shakespeare's uh, A Midsummer's Night Dream, you know, Puck, the fairy mm-hmm. that would always kind of just be kind of hiding in the trees, eavesdropping on the characters and kind of frolicking through the forest and trying to whisper or mislead and control the narrative into another set of characters to really keep that like whole love triangle scenario going on. That you know, I think Puck was like a fairy nymph you know not a great yeah definitely a fairy and and actually in the celtic lore the fair folk the fae f-a-e um they were meant to be a bit mischievous like they they had their they wanted to you know achieve their own means and sometimes that meant screwing up other people's plans Mm -hmm. um but yeah so they they were kind of a little mischievous too um terry proctor does a pretty great job of describing things a bit whimsically and Mm -hmm. um you know getting into their minds of, you know, the little curiosities of like the trains of thoughts that they kind of buzz around in and what mischief they want to set up. And I always like the name just phonetically Puck. I just feel it's like, yeah, it just sounds without knowing that the character name just seems very precocious. Sure. Yeah. Um, And then another one that kind of, you know, I think another role that these characters can take on, you know, as Puck is kind of like the messenger Mm-hmm. And almost like a narrator within the story, in addition to the actual like narration of the story, mm-hmm. um, is I think it's Hermes, right? It's yeah, Hermes. Hermes in Hermes. Too posh. Hermes is in the fashion brand <laughs> of handbags, but Hermes, Hermes in in Greek mythology. Yeah, Hermes, you know, uh, like you said, messenger of the gods. He's kind of um, flitting here and there, right? Um, and no one's really necessarily keeping watch over him while he does his like duties, so he can force around a bit. He's like um, the li- he's like literally the game of telephone. Or I know there's multiple. <laughs> different, I know there's different names yeah. for that game across around the world, but you know the game where you might be in a circle or just a chain of people, and at one end a person starts with a certain phrase. And they whisper it in the ear next to the person next to them. It goes down the chain of people and you see how the message changes by the time it gets the last person and they report mm-hmm. what they heard. You can compare how much it changed. I feel like Hermes is like in Puck in a way too, or like exactly that, but in a, as a character. Insert. Wasn't there a story that like at the beginning, like when he was just a child, he like made a liar out of like sheep stuff, like in his island that he was marooned at when he was a kid and somehow he like coaxed various creatures to like um play and have fun with him um but it was just somehow there was like a mischievous element to it but like most people most most of the other characters weren't really expecting him to have company because he was like marooned on an island that seemed Mm -hmm. to be pretty small island like uninhabited by anybody else except him um and somehow managed to get some playmates 
So that was interesting. Mm-hmm. Dionysus too. I mean, you know, Bacchanalia and everything. Got to have some mischief with that drunken festivities, drunken right? Festivities. Yes, exactly. Um, one character. I don't know. Do you know much about the Monkey King from? Yeah. So I mean, it's kind of interesting. So the Monkey King, ha- Hanuman, as well, in like Hindu myths. Um, so Monkey King in Chinese stories is like one of the main character. He's sort of a main character in in Journey to the West. It's like an epic, by which I mean the noun, not just the adjective. Mm-hmm. Um, which is like a tale of like this uh, monk's journey, well, to the West with some friends. And Sun Wukong is um, like one of the main hero people, hero things that kind of helps along, but like through very. Um, non-intuitive ways like he'll he'll do some tricks and you know be very resourceful um whereas like the monk is like uh i think it's like Taoist monk so he's just very like kind of follows the middle way he doesn't really get up to many shenanigans whereas Mm -hmm. monkey king's kind of he's got that room to you know do kung fu and like you know dream of different antics to get around certain barriers so he's pretty creative and mm-hmm. I think he's famously played by Jackie Chan, who's like, you know, perceived now as like a very flexible person in terms of like all the Kung Fu styles he's had. And, you know, like even a bit of parkour, it's like melding a lot of different disciplines. So kind of, Monkey King's kind of like that. And I, I believe that Hanuman in like the Hindu lore, sorry if I'm not saying that right. Um, he's also pretty tricky and also like a monkey king sort of figure so i'm sure that those two entities were shared back and forth you know around the the eras the ancient eras um because india and china are fairly close to each other in terms mm-hmm. of they're in the asian continent there could be some exchange of yeah and and monkeys were you know seen as very like wily creatures right so um and actually that's that's a thing i noticed across um looking through various cultures things they, they've taken like various animals and called them as like the trickster entity of their culture so like in um like the americas right like in the southwest americas ish they kind of called coyote um as their trickster character um, whereas like the Northwest Americas, they, they use the Raven as their trickster character, um, in like African, some Western African areas, they call Brer Rabbit. Um, and you know, those African people were sometimes also brought to American through the slave trade. Um, so that translated over. Um, so Brer Rabbit was also like a trickster character, um, a Nazi. I don't think he was a rabbit. So I'll take that back. But he was also a trickster character. Um, but yeah, I thought it was quite interesting how they would anthropomorphize. Mm-hmm. I didn't say that word right, but they oh, would yeah. take animals and 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 you know, like assign certain um human traits properties to them. Um mm-hmm. foxes, you know, like we we think in, in the Western civilization, like a fox is pretty wily and cunning. Um, I personally have not seen a fox be wily and cunning other than like Aesop's fables, right? Where mm-hmm. they are wily and cunning. But yeah, it's just interesting how that has translated over. I agree. Yeah. Yeah. I think that's interesting. I think I also associate some of those animals, maybe people view them in those ways because we like associate coyotes. Like I've been around them quite a lot growing up, but like, the noise they make. Mm-hmm. When, when it's kind of like out. laughing you know like they're having mm-hmm. fun it it is it gives a little uh, unnerving and not very like warm and welcoming and feel like you could trust you could so you you kind of um you know project certain qualities based on just how the like or like raven calls right or edgar, edgar Allan poe like the raven you're know, like mm-hmm. what is it doing what is it up to it's just it's just Perch, snakes, stare, staring at serpents me. Snakes yeah well. they mm-hmm. kind of stare at you too oddly enough not lizards I wonder why, you know, reptiles are there, but somehow I've only heard of the snake being the the main sly one. Lizards are just kind of like flies on the wall. <laughs> yeah, but um, well, yeah, I mean, that's what kind of what we 
had a little bit for this episode. I think we have some music yep. to get into today. Some of it is on on continuing on the th- same theme of tricksters. Oh, yes. Sorry. Um, so we were going to jump a little bit into pop culture with this one. Um, so the Barber of Seville Overture, uh, I remember that famously from childhood growing up. I feel, like, with- I feel like this is a piece where maybe you don't know the title, but when you hear it, I feel like you might recognize it from a very distant memory, whether it is from your childhood, but again, all these will be on our Spotify playlist. So we recommend you get some of these a listen because you'd be curious to see if If they they trigger any memories. Mm -hmm. Um, So this for me was made um, instantly memorable because I remember Bugs Bunny um, trying to, was it clip Elmer Fudd's hair? Like the hunter. He was, you know, the hunty was trying to clip the hunter's hair, um, you know, in a Looney yes. Tunes episode. And there was like a bunch of shenanigans and hijinks of trying to keep Elmer Fudd in the chair. And not and see that it was, but you know, not up. see that it was, you know, the object of his desire, of his prey, Bugs. Um, and so that's a great episode. Um, and and there's also a scene I remember yeah. when, when Bugs um, steps in as a, you know, an opera conductor and then leads takes over leads a singer and so we have we'll have those linked um when we post the episode yes um, indeed so. um and then next song would be have you Jack ever seen Stein. the opera stephanie which opera the barber of seville i have not i have, I have. heard the it's, music a lot of times it's very times. funny it's very okay. the character is very funny i recommend it. it's very silly um very self-aware humor I think I've seen the first song. I don't think I've seen the whole the, the production. Opening, the opening yeah. scene is really good too, but I, I do recommend recommend the actual opera too. Okay. Okay. I'm looking forward to it. Um, so, yep, we're going to link a, a song from Giacchino Rossini, Rossini, Leonard Bernstein, I can't speak today, and the New York Philharmonic, a lovely recording on Spotify. Um, second song is our good old friend Hans. Um Jack Sparrow, because he's a little mischievous guy, isn't he? Um, just yes. trying to get everything sorted so that it suits him best. I feel like he's, he's, he falls into the category of, of a lovable character. Questionable friend? I guess he's a friend. I feel like some of the characters might mm-hmm. argue with that in the films. But, it uh, depends on when his interests are aligning with them. Like you said, yes. you know, sometimes you think they're on your side. Sometimes they're out for, uh, doing the task for themselves. That's their ulterior motive. Um, so that one's quite a fun jaunt. And for in terms of if you're newer to the podcast, uh, it's Hans Zimmer. But we <laughs> refer to his music so often for our playlist, we sometimes shorthand it's just Hans. Our first name basis at this point. <laughs> 31 episodes and quite a few of them. <laughs> his music. Music. Yeah. Um, next one we've got is Fireworks by Nicholas Hooper. This was in the Harry Potter and the Order of the Phoenix movie. This is when Fred and George Weasley's my favorite twins. Um, they have had enough of of uh too much order, you know, like they've been really um controlled with a tight fist about what they can or can't do during their year, their last year at Hogwarts. And so for their last hurrah they've decided to like say no to the rules in a very emphatic and raucous and chaotic, but celebratory way. And it's, it's an amazing song. Um, I think there's even electronic or electric guitars at the end at some point. Mm. So that's really unusual for something that's generally quite orchestrated. With, like, classic and more classical music instruments. Yeah, yeah. So it's like really throwing a wrench in the works. I love it. Um, next one we've got is uh, a song by Gene Wilder, famously known as, um, I mean, he has many amazing roles, but probably most famously known for um, Willy, playing Willy Wonka in Willy Wonka and the Chocolate Factory. Um, and Michelle and I thought that The Wondrous Boat Ride, it's the name of the song, was a, a great point where you could see him turn and not really like you wouldn't know what he's thinking is he is he trying to kill these kids and their parents <laughs> and grandparents or is he like genuinely trying to look for the next successor of his chocolate factory like you can't quite tell if he's benevolent or feeling a little bit malicious you, can't, you know it's just 
there's a yeah. bunch of like weird disturbing images of like scorpions and things there's three cracks uh, in his character right. i think they start to appear and that's yeah yeah and the, music, like and the music really brings that about as well eeriness it comes about like halfway through so mm-hmm. watch out for that um and then uh we'll go from that eeriness to you're welcome by Dwayne the rock johnson um famously from the disney, disney pixar movie moana um where he plays maui or voices maui who is um, another trickster god that we have not mentioned, usually um, from the Polynesian area, Polynesia area. Um, and yeah, so he's controlling a lot and also just trying to have fun. Yeah, so that was pretty great. That's kind of, and that was his introductory song, I believe, in the movie. Yes, was it? I yeah. forgot. Yeah, mm-hmm. okay, you're right, you're right. Um, and the next one is another Disney song um, from The Jungle Book. Um, this is a bit debatable, um, but I just wanted to put it in because I thought it was fun. Oh, um, it's, it's a great song, yeah. And this is yeah. the, the um, I forgot the year of it, the earlier Jungle Book film. I know that there has been Yeah, this is the, recent the one. animation one where they like hand drew the color, you know, and, and like colored in manually all the frames. Um, and it's I Want to Be Like You, the monkey song um, with King Louie, who... Michelle just told me just before we recorded, that's a parody on Louis the Fourteenth, the Sun King, the French one, um, who I think we mocked for having exquisite calves um, in an yes. earlier yeah. episode. Um, I didn't put the two and two together until this very moment. So my entire adult life, I thought they were two separate things, but now I love that they've been fused together, and I get the joke now. Yeah, I think so. The, that, this is the animated film from 1967. I just confirmed. Oh wow, um, that long ago. Okay. Yeah. But I thought the 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 monkeys were mischievous and they wanted to have fun, and that that kind of fit in my category of mm-hmm, like mm-hmm. troublemaker kind of thing. And Michelle, what about you? Yeah, I have I have three songs to share this week. Um, my first one is a continuation of this from the same film, the Disney animated Jungle Book movie from 1967. Um, I think they, in the more recent one, I think from 2016 it was or so, they did these same songs, but in a different depiction. But I always like the character, um, the scene with Ka, uh, the boa constrictor that appears throughout the film to really test Mowgli's maturity um, and development as a character. Um, Willpower but- too. Yeah. Yeah. Exactly. And willpower. Yes. And um, and so the the lullaby hypnosis song that he sings, "Trust in Me," um, I think this might be the first time where he really is almost to have Mowgli go to a full slumber state of slumber, so he's able to like eat Mowgli, eat the victim. Mm-hmm. Um, but I love the animation of of that scene. Uh, have the snake Cobb move so fluidly and really manipulates the movement and body positions of Mowgli and Mowgli's in this trance. And I also really liked the decision of Disney to have Ka voiced by Sterling Holloway, who voiced a lot of big characters in the Disney films. Um, one of the most famous ones to be you know, Winnie the Pooh. So if you, if you watch Jungle Book, you would maybe not realize you recognize that voice as being uh, from a character who you immensely trust and see as your very best friend, like Winnie the Pooh is a just incredibly trustworthy character. Who... And he takes on the same tone as Winnie mm-hmm. the Pooh? Yeah. Oh my God. Wow. He, he emphasizes the S's. He's like a snake. Yes. Um, but he his voice, it, it, out, it yeah. sounds just like him. So I always thought that was... Mellifluous. Really cool. He's got a very mm-hmm. mellifluous tone to his voice. So that's a Disney made a decision. I mean, I feel like that would like, have really shown children to not trust everything. Yeah. I mean, like I was is, transfixed every time that scene came on, and like I it really like, is wow. just a movie. Even the care, even that voice is just a illusion, right? A facade. Yes. Um, two other songs. This is whew, switching gears a bit here. Uh, two songs I've just been listening to <laughs> um, this week. Uh, the first is we've mentioned him several times before. Um, the, Another friend of the podcast. Yeah. Um, the pianist and musician uh, Ludovico Inadi. Uh, one of his, I don't know, older songs. It's one of the first, it's the very first song I discovered by him. Me uh, too. Divineer. Classic. Yeah. Um, 
And so I've I've enjoyed listening to that lately because around this time of year is the first time I discovered this song. It was when I had first started university and it really got me through that transition time when I was starting university. Just before I bet my co-host Stephanie. Ah, Actually. yes. Yes. Yeah. I forgot we met in, was it freshman year? Yes. Our oh first semester. Um, wow. So I like to listen to his music because I always found it very grounding and um, I think it's a great song. Um, the other, the last song I wanted to share today, um, it's Wildest Dreams by Taylor Swift. So um, particularly Taylor's version. Um, Her re-recorded a, version. The re-recorded version. So it's the formal title of the song is Wildest Dream, parentheses, Taylor's version. She released it yesterday. And I don't At, know. The, I, yeah. You said time recording. Sorry. I zoned out. That was rude of me. I'm sorry. <laughs> I apologize. I know the answer. No, you're fine. Um, so I, I think it's, you know, the backstory, which I think is not uncommon for artists. I think we mentioned this a little bit, you know, when we did like the Dash Punk episode about, um, you know, the implications of when you're an artist signing on, uh, you know, with a deal with a recording label and what the contract says in terms of ownership of your music and your rights to your music and how much you own versus the label. And it seems that she, when she actually signed on, um, way back in their teenage years, she did not actually get much ownership to the music. So when that label was bought by another label, she, a few years ago, she learned that she really would have no rights to her music. And so she decided, which I think is, I can't, maybe it doesn't seem that hard. Of, it seems like maybe hard work. Maybe it's not to have to go and redo everything and re-record it. Um, so she's been doing it for a few songs over the years. And so this is when she dropped released yesterday and I think it's interesting because she has I guess she recorded in the past year or so the song originally came out I think in 2014 or that long ago yeah on the album 1989 um and so I listened to it today and you know I always liked that song when it came out too because like the beat is actually her real heartbeat so is I it? Like that, yeah, I feel like that adds like an extra layer of vulnerability because huh. it's, it's like a love song ballad. I think it's technically called a dream pop ballad, which I really like that genre because it's very dreamy. Sure. Um, and it's got a lot of like, reverb. Yeah. Yeah. But I think there's less reverb in this new version. And I think it's neat because okay. you can really hear how her voice has matured in a subtle way. Yeah. And I feel like, I don't know if she did it on purpose or if it's just because of where she is in her life, but um, her tone is a bit more disheartened and it seems more like she's talking a lot more about the past speaking mm. about the, the lyrics like like I don't necessarily believe in this kind of love anymore mm. and I'm not as infected by it whereas in the original recording it does seem much more lost like and wide-eyed lonely. yeah yeah and I think that's really interesting so I I honestly recommend to listen to both versions to see if anything else pops out to you and Sarah Bang and Stephanie but I think it's neat um that she did that so those are my yeah. songs to share for today interesting yeah uh to kind of add to what you said about like recent songs i've been listening to the ad astra album um mm. the from the soundtrack from the brad pitt movie um mm-hmm. and uh, it's got some pretty interesting tunes and they're they're kind of generically spacey but i recommend them um there's like one main composer, Max Richter, who I think I previously mentioned, who mm-hmm. recomposed Vivaldi's Four Seasons, which I really enjoyed. Yeah. Uh, so his his vibe is quite atmospheric. So the song I'm recommending from him, from this soundtrack, is "To the Stars," mm. um, which is very first song from. I there. love that title. Right. So, um, and it might be like when when Brad Pitt's like about to launch off from Earth to go on his mission. It reminds me of that line in the Titanic film when they're um Leonardo DiCaprio and he went sink underneath the bottom of the ship okay. and he's like in the car and he's like honks the horn I've seen this movie a lot um honks the horn and he goes like where to miss and she whispers and you're like to the stars and I always like that's just romantic yeah oh see I was thinking Elon Musk to the moon, to the moon. yeah mm-hmm. <laughs> um okay and the next song from this soundtrack is Lauren Balfe's Space Journey Lauren Balfe is, um, he is one of 
Hans Zimmer, or he was one of Hans Zimmer's um, protege people in Hans Zimmer's like group. So he helped, you know, Inception and a bunch of Hans Zimmer's songs, the Dark Knight trilogy and all that. Mm. Um, so he's very much like in that wheelhouse of epic, grand orchestrations. Um, and he also did the Mission Impossible Thought, which I love. But anyway, Space Journey, I quite like because I'm pretty sure it's got a Moog 1 synthesizer. And since talking about Daft Punk and electronic music, I have fallen in love with the specific model of the, um, sorry, Moog 1 synthesizer of the um, electronic stuff. So um, it's, it's, a, it's a journey of a song, I think. Uh, the, the synthesizer part doesn't really quite come in at the beginning. It just kind of fades in in the middle of the song. But I think it's incorporated in a very ethereal fashion. So that's pretty cool. Mm. And then the last song, also the last song of the soundtrack, coincidentally, is Says by Niels Fram. Um, and that's the only song that Niels um, composed for this, that, or that made it to this album. Mm-hmm. But I think it's a nice, like, send-off song. It's very, like, again, ethereal, spacey. Um, but it's just kind of lets you drift off in thought, I think. Yeah, there we go. I think I think it's yeah important to know when you're drifting off. Make sure you're drifting off in a safe place and not in the coils of a mischievous trickster. <laughs> Remember to keep your tether around you at all times. Yes, keep your tether around you at all times. And yeah, thank you so much, Stephanie, for sharing all of that in this yeah. episode. All of the really appreciate hearing all the all the little tidbits and stories. Um, I learned a lot. I'm going to let you answer everything. And in terms of if you, if what we brought up made you think of anything, any other similar tricks or tales or anything, remember we didn't mention Pink Panther. We did want to mention, acknowledge that is another good one. Tom um, from Tom and Jerry, you know. Tom, exactly. Um, so the list goes on. So if you remember any, please let us know. We'd love to hear from you. And till next time. Ta-ta.